You are listening to CBS Wire. After seven years as president of Copenhagen Business School, Per Holten Andersen announced his resignation. Before he bid farewell to the school that has taken most of his waking hours since he took the leap from dean at University of Copenhagen, we met with him for a talk about the turmoils, the achievements, and last but not least, the students who passed through the school while he were captain on the ship. Perfect. So, um, this week's episode of CBS Wire, I'm here with the boss, the president of Copenhagen Business School, Per Holden Andersen, or at least uh, the boss for, uh, for, a little while. for a little while. Yeah. When will your last day at CBS be? Uh, 31st of January 2019. I expect, at least, that's the plan. That's the plan. Yeah. Let's hope you, uh, you can stick to it. Can you tell me a bit about your way to uh, being the president of Copenhagen Business School? What did you do before? And I can answer the planning question quite specifically. I never planned it. And actually, I have never, uh, very few things in my job life I've planned. It has come as opportunities, and sometimes I've said, no, that's not now, or that's not the thing I want to do, and sometimes I've just jumped at it and said, brilliant idea, I will do it. So it's been, it's certainly not been a planned process. Uh, I started in this type of job, as you may know, as the vice-chancellor of the then Agricultural and Veterinary University of Denmark, and I was actually the last elected vice-chancellor, which is equivalent to president, uh, in Denmark. Uh, the government changed the law of how uh, vice-chancellors were appointed from being elected by staff and students, which I thought was a major privilege that you were actually elected by the staff that had to suffer with you after you'd been appointed. But then the government changed the law uh, in the way that election was abolished and a board had to be appointed, and the board appoints the president or the vice-chancellor. So I was also actually the last elected vice-chancellor, but also the first appointed. So I was reappointed into the job that I was elected to first. And then the university I was head of was made part of the University of Copenhagen in a major reshuffling of Danish universities in 2006. And I was there as a dean of one of the faculties in University of Copenhagen until 2011, end of 11. And then suddenly this job came up and somebody approached me and asked whether that would not be a good idea. And I did not say no. So then I started through that process and finally ended up in this job. So none of this was planned mm. from my point. But nonetheless... You decided to uh, to pursue the do- oh, yes. job when it was there. Yeah. What were the things that attracted you to the job here at CBS? Well, first of all, three things, I think. First of all, I have taken an education at CBS. I've taken a whole day in uh, finance at CBS as, at the same time as I took my original degree at the Royal Veterinary and Agricultural University. So in economics and forestry, I took it, and then I took a whole day the four-year program here at CBS. So I knew CBS. Secondly, CBS had changed tremendously from a, first of all, physically 
dislocated all over Copenhagen institution to this wonderful campus. And especially the reputation of CBS had grown tremendously from just being a ordinary Hansoy school to be Copenhagen Business School. So the reputation of CBS was fantastic. And then, as you may remember, maybe you don't, CBS had some challenges at that time. And I thought that sounded quite exciting. So those were the three main reasons. Yeah, because that were kind of my next question. When you came to CBS, there had been a period of quite uh, quite a lot of turbulence yes. at CBS. Why do you think uh, the board looked at, or what do you think the board saw in you when they appointed you president uh, of CBS? Uh, I'm pleased that you say, what do you think? Because, of course, you should ask the board and that the chairman of the board at that time. But they were, there's no doubt that what they were looking for was simply to get stability into the institution because, first of all, there was a lot of economic uh, turmoil. Uh, secondly, there was an enormous leadership crisis with the then-president being sacked, but also the board being laid off. When Per Holden Andersen talks about a leadership crisis, that might be categorized as an understatement. Former CBS president Johan Roos was sacked after he launched an unapproved and illegal merger of a private education and a CBS education, leading to students exiting their education without legal graduate papers. So they simply looked, I guess, taking someone in from outside that did not have a history, at least not a CBS history, to create uh, a little bit of a normal everyday and simply... Uh, stability. Stability in leadership, but also stability in the economic cost and income of the institution, and and that had been very insecure for a number of years. But you mentioned uh, it wasn't uh, you alone, of course, no. but but what did you do? What did you do when you started here? What things did ne- did you need to change? Well, uh, the first thing I needed was to change myself, uh, simply to get to know the institution. And you don't just walk into a job and day one you're on. I've changed jobs a number of times, and my experience is it takes at least a year to find out what is the basic challenges of this institution, how does it operate. You need to get to know people. You need to get to know your board and your leadership group, your department heads, your department. So that took about a year. Then, of course, there has been major focus on a stable economic situation. And I spent quite a number of resources together with the management team on making sure that CBS cannot and will not run into economic trouble in the future. That's extremely crucial, not just for the stability and satisfaction of staff, but also for the reputation of the institution. After all, we are business school. Then, of course, those two are not sufficient targets for an institution like CBS. The real target is to deliver outstanding research and outstanding education. We deliver an enormous value to society, and I should say that it's not only people at CBS that think this, it's also quite a number of politicians. So CBS' role in society, in my view, should grow because we have almost uh, no unemployment. We have a very low unemployment among our candidates coming out of this university, which means that the labor market demands the product that we deliver. Society shows through the creation of jobs for our candidates that uh, they are in demand. So there's no doubt that CBS will play a bigger role in Danish economy, 
in international economy over the next 10-20 years than today. So we are growing and there's a demand for CBS to grow. With the university with the lowest or second lowest unemployment rate of all universities in Denmark. Mm. Um, that kind of leads me to the image of of the CBS students. I think if you ask different people around the city, many of them could would picture a CBS student in, uh, you know, blue shirt and yeah. uh, suit and tie yes. and uh, earning a lot of money and yeah. the business world fast type. Yeah. Uh, what do you feel about this uh, stereotypes around that the image? Students, yeah, well, image yeah. well, there are some that are like that. But there's no doubt that we have we have a goal, and this is actually also one of my personal goals, that CBS should recruit uh, from the Danish society at large. And at the moment, we are recruiting fairly uh, skewed, i.e. from more privileged families and from North Zealand, Central Zealand, not very many from the other parts of, of Denmark. So in my view, uh, and I've also pushed this agenda, we should be very conscious that we should recruit from the general Danish population. And therefore, that stereotype that you described will not in the future be the only stereotype that you see at CBS. But it's quite undoubtedly that you're correct today. We, we derive a lot of our students from privileged families and privileged parts of Denmark. But I think we have a societal obligation to actually admit students uh, still on academic merit, but from all works of Danish society. Yeah. So if you were to picture or imagine the future CBS student, what would he or she look look like? Well, uh, already today we have about 50-50 uh, in gender, so we don't have a very skewed gender distribution. It is, however, very different from different in different programs. So there are some programs that have a high proportion of males, and some have a higher proportion than 50% of females. But we are fairly balanced in our uptake of of girls and boys. So what would the future look like? Well, it would be still be some uh, students in nice dress and and tie and uh, tuxedo maybe even, but also students in jeans and uh, in sports clothes, i.e. students coming from all parts of society. Why? Because I think it it's gives uh, it gives our possibility to actually deliver what society expects from us. It gives us a much higher probability of delivering what society society wants. Uh, if we admit students from a broad social background than just from a very limited background. So our mission in society will be easier to deliver if we have a broad uptake of different types of students. And I'm actually also thinking about not just within Denmark, but also internationally. And one of the reasons I say that is that you probably know that there's a high political focus on do we take too many non-Danish students up at Danish universities. I'm going to uh, dive into some cases with you uh, where you've been kind of outspoken in the press. Um, for example, about your foreign research researchers and them having to repay their funds and them uh, risking work permits here in Denmark. Mm. To be more precise, this case involved foreign researchers 
who all of a sudden were punished for working other places than CBS due to a new legislation. The most spectacular one involved a foreign researcher who were actually invited by the Danish parliament to speak, only to receive a fine later on for talking to the people who had made the law. Um, when you think back on that case, what, what do you think? I think most people that followed that case internally, especially, but also externally, were aware how actually furious I was on behalf of our international students because and international staff sorry not students but staff we also had some student cases but that was driven by different legislation and I was disgusted the way uh, we politically handled it so I went out not just to please our international staff but because I was actually furious in hard-working people that had worked in Denmark Some of them spent their entire academic life in Denmark, and then they introduce a legislation that I can say I didn't even know it. Uh, and the most proliferous and famous case that came out of that was a famous researcher. I won't mention her name, but uh, she had lectured in Parliament to the tax committee, and she was invited by the tax committee. So the irony was that it was a committee in Parliament that invited her and made her violate the Danish legislation, but they were also given a fine. So Parliament was given a fine and she was given a fine. Now, later on, fortunately, the government realized that this is ludicrous and it's abs it, it gives Denmark a total devastating reputation outside Denmark. And you probably know that there were news paper articles on this in Germany, in France, in Britain, in United States especially. So the whole branding of Denmark uh, partly changed because of that. So I was not alone furious. I was also extremely sad for the people that started getting an impression that Denmark is not this tolerant society that some of us have uh, branded Denmark as. Denmark has a dark side and therefore I, together with other universities, we did a lot to get it changed, and it was actually changed. And I must admit that the government uh, promised that they would change it, and they did change it. And they've even repealed most of the punishments that were actually decided, uh, the fines and the prison sentences, because in the end they could have ended up in prison. So they repealed them, and the government changed uh, through Parliament this absolutely stupid legislation. Were you ever hesitant to, because it was a politically decided legislation, were you ever hesitant to to go out in the press and be that outspoken no, about it? No, I didn't have any second thoughts about it at all. Because, first of all, I was personally outraged, but in my own deep down heart, I knew, I hoped that I knew that Parliament would be sensible, which they were. Uh, it took a heck of a long time for Parliament actually to change it. We, I had hoped that they could have done it within a month or two, but it took more than half a year. So there were times where I was a little reluctant whether this would happen or not, or I was a little doubtful whether they had spoken with two tongues, but it ended up in a good way because they did repeal all the fines and all the prison sentences and change the law. So, but I had no second thoughts. I thought it was outrageous. Totally stupid. 
that uh, leads me to the next case. The second case is, of course, the enormous scandal with Danske Bank, who had laundered billions in their SGN department. This made CBS cancel all further involvements with the bank, but current involvements with the bank continued. You have stopped all corporations with Danske Bank. What thoughts did you put into this, and were you outraged as well? Well, uh, that case, of course, is not closed yet. The other case is closed with a good outcome, and therefore it's much easier to say that chapter is finished and over. It won't happen again. It was detrimental to Denmark, but in some ways it was also positive because politicians repealed the stupid law behind it. Now, the Danske Bank case is not finished yet, so we don't, none of us know where that ends. So there are limits to what I can say about Danske Bank case, but I can say that as an institution that that actually delivers about a third of all top leaders in Danish uh, private sector, then we had to react because we do not want to give our students that will become the leaders of big multinational private Danish companies. They view that you don't have to be responsible as a citizen in your job as a private sector uh, manager. So we thought it was absolutely crucial that we gave a message that this is not the type of leadership that we condone, and it's certainly not the type of role model that we want for our students. But wouldn't the message have been clearer if you had reacted harder? Because you still have cooperations with Danske Bank, you're just not engaging a new one, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I won't reveal all the discussions we had, but I can reveal that you only see 1% of the discussions that we actually had. We went through a lot of scenarios, and uh, we also had a legal uh, evaluation of what we could do and could not do, and the verdict was quite clear. Existing agreements with Danske Bank or any other entity, you cannot just break if you think you don't you wouldn't like to you would like to break them. I mean there is a legal framework in Denmark that's called uh Ratstaden. What do you call that in English? The rule of law. Um so the rule of law also applies to cases where you would like to react differently, but where there are certain rights also of uh the the damaging part, i.e. in this case Danske Bank. So existing contracts, we would probably, or not most certainly, break the law if we broke those collaborations. Then we would be liable for Danish Bank to sue us. Uh, that's one principle in the law. A second principle is that we cannot treat one entity different from uh, treating other entities. So if we decided to break collaborations with Danske Bank, we would actually have to go through all our collaborations with external entities and say every collaboration that we break with Danske Bank, we should do the same with all others, and we would land in 10, 15, 20, 30 lawsuits. So that's the practical reason that we did not make a decision to break all existing contracts, but only would not enter into f- new ones. If you weren't bound by the law? If we weren't bound by the law, we would have gone further. But how much further? Uh, what do you mean, how much further? Terminate all corporations. With uh, Danske Bank? Uh, I I can't say that as as clear as you would like the answer because to answer that clear, I would need to know every single collaboration. Uh, 
But in principle, yes. We, we wanted to send a signal that this is not okay, and this is not the moral and not the ethics that we would like to bring up our students in an environment. But we also have to, we are a public institution, we have to adhere to the Danish legislation. So what I'm saying is I cannot tell you about each specific contract because we haven't gone through every single contract. No, that's uh, perfectly fine. But uh, when we are talking Danske Bank, as you just mentioned before, many, a whole lot of your students enter this world of finance yes. and business, yeah. which are showing quite an ugly face right now what what um, measurements do you take to secure that your students get the right moral compass it's a very good question because i don't think there's a very clear answer to that but of course uh, one of the answers is that there must be role models that you can see they actually make decisions that are morally driven that cost money because Uh, if you only make moral decisions when you also earn money at the same time, you're not really sacrificing anything. So that's those are trivial, those cases, where you can make the moral correct decision that also makes you money. But the real crucial dilemma is when you make morally correct decisions that cost you money, i.e. where there's a trade-off. And of course, uh, those are the tough ones. So where have we been in situations where it could cost us money? It's quite evident that stating that we will not enter new collaborations will cost funding for CBS for some time during the period that we do not enter into new collaborations. But this is just an example of what I think we shall and must teach our students. The real moral dilemma is when you have to sacrifice something else in order to make that correct decision. And that is called, in my view, the backbone of society. I that you're responsible, a responsible citizen that does not make and decide on a gain for yourself that will be detrimental to someone else. If every citizen thought that way, i.e. I couldn't care about anyone else in society apart from myself, we would not have society. So it's definition of society that you take into consideration that some of your decisions or actions are detrimental to other people. And that should change your decisions. So what I would like to imbibe and give as a moral compass to our students is that you must be aware that there are dilemmas where the right decision is not just to make the most money for yourself, but to optimize society's total value. Now, how do you teach that? The best is as a role model. And I'm not talking about me as a person, but as an institution because the worst thing is to teach and then do something different. Uh, so being a role model, I think, is the first step down that road. But of course, we also have topics as social responsibility, corporate social responsibility, so we teach it in courses. But the best way of teaching is by being a role model. And there, we cannot do it alone. The Danish businesses, they have to be role models too, because our students, uh, you know, that the major part of our students, they have a job while they study. So if they see that leaders of those companies actually make tough decisions that cost the company money, then I think they get role models as brilliant examples. So that's the way of doing it. But it's not a trivial uh, question to answer. 
and I'm sure you can find many, many examples of the opposite. Yeah, because how do you secure that? You talk, you yourself talk a lot about this responsibility. Mm. Yeah. How do you secure that it's not just empty and that uh, corporate social responsibility yeah. is not just buzzwords? Yeah. I can't tell you how you secure it, but I can tell you how you measure it. I mean, if you're not willing to make decisions that cost on the profit line, at least in the short term, uh, then you you are not following your mouth is you're not following you, the mouth is not following your actions or your actions are not following your mouth. But I think you should also look at it maybe on a little longer term than the immediate present. I'm quite sure that economically you also better off in the long run when you act responsibly because customers will start reacting if the company gets a negative reputation of being irresponsible they won't buy their products maybe in the short run uh, the profits of the company won't uh, drop but in the long run they may be out of business so i'm quite sure that economically on the long run it's a good business model to be responsible and i'm also quite sure that societies will not accept companies that act irresponsibly and we will get if they don't on their own free will, act responsibly, we will get unnecessary legislation, but we'll get it. So it's much better that society has a contract with the private sector and other parts of the sector that responsibility is a common societal goal in this environment, in this society, under this tradition that we could call the Danish democracy, the Scandinavian democracy, the Northern European democracies. So responsibility must be an integral part of our education, an integral part of our leadership, an integral part of our private business sector. Yeah, because you send um, thousands of students out of the school every year. Uh, two, three thousand, yes. Yeah, so um, what would you be most proud to say that you have given them during that time here at CBS? That's a meta question, but I think that they, I can answer... F- on my own behalf, what I think I got out of education, an enormous freedom to decide your own future. Uh, That is the biggest benefit that I've achieved from education. The ability not to be trapped into a sector or job or a social class, but simply the ability to decide at least in many, many ways your own future. And that's very broad uh, on education if if we talk about CBS specific yeah if you talk about CBS specific of course there are two three more components but I I have also experienced them myself education also opens you up to the international job market and there are brilliant universities all over the world and there's a network and you probably know that CBS has a network of 320 30 universities all over the world where our students can easily go on exchange. So education also opens up for broadening your mindset by meeting other cultures, meeting other people, and experience the excitement of simply leaving home and seeing, oh, by God, the world is so different. Uh, And to most people, that's a fantastic experience. So education brings a lot of social benefits, a lot of outlook, and a lot of experience in meeting different cultures, meeting different professions, and an enormous possibility of experiencing things you would never have thought of yourself. 
So a fuller life, a more exciting life. So education means endless possibilities, if you ask Per Holten Andersen. But to get an education on CBS, you often need an enormous grade point average. Actually, CBS holds three educations out of the ten with the highest grade point average needed in Denmark. Yeah, and um, now I know you're staying on it, but you didn't mention good grades as something you hope the students had when they left the school here. No, uh, I think this is this is at the moment a very controversial topic because we are far too grade driven. And this is partly this institution because you probably know that we admit some of the best grades students in Denmark. And therefore we have an extremely competitive environment regarding grades. But grades cannot ever be a goal in life. It's a proxy for something else. And if you go only for grades, you are uh, making an inoptimal future for yourself. And we have a big responsibility of freeing the students a little bit from this great tyranny that we've created. And that's partly why we've created the quota two uptake. Well, we didn't create it, but we use it a lot. 40% of our students are admitted according to, to quota two. But it turns out actually that our quota two students are almost equally focused on grades. So we haven't really solved that issue. In my view, you should not have a student mass that's too uniform. You should also have a student body that's fairly diverse, that has many qualities built into it, and not just the monolithic uh, high grader from Northern Sealand. And we are not there yet. No, because when I've actually interviewed a lot of the international business students, mm. which have this extremely high grade point yes. average. 12.1, 12.2, 12.3. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where does this floor this perception that grades are that important where does it happen um, because what came first uh, the egg or the hen yeah. they need this grade point average to I don't get think in yeah I don't think you can say what the uh, the egg and the hen was but you can you can say that we admit uh, at the bachelor level about 3000 students per year And at the master level, a little lower than that, but much low, not much. So we admit about 5,000 students every year. And we have to go through, you know, thousands and thousands of students to admit these four, uh, 5,000 students. We, we go through 20, 25,000 students. And there's a limit to how detailed you can be in that admission process. Ideally, you should interview the students and they should write an essay but that would multiply the cost of admitting students. So, so far, grades are the most objective and also the most legally precise uh, criteria for admitting students. But that does not mean that I think it's the only criteria we should use. The problem is that all the alternatives are more subjective, so they give the students less security, and they're also extremely resource-demanding. So we have not found out what the right solution is. I think it would be extremely beneficial if most students that leave gymnasium actually have a gap year or two and find out that life is not all about getting high grades. But the Fremdrechts reform and other uh, political decisions, they actually counteract uh, my view. 
So I would much rather have more mature students that have spent one or two years outside the university and outside the education system, being abroad, being South America, traveling or working or whatever, uh, for many reasons. One is that they are much more motivated when they get into uh, the program that they love to get into. Yeah, for w- what are the dangers uh, of going through an entire education only focusing on grades? Well, I think there are many dangers, but I don't think when you get out into real life that you're very satisfied if you just got high grades. You should be. You will be satisfied if you get a job and a family and a life that's fulfilling. And I'm not. I'm certain that high grades are not the only way to that type of life. So, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is not high grades. The purpose of life is some sort of satisfaction, contributing to society contributing to the future, contributing to your children, it's it's not high grades. But I'm not giving you the answer because what you would like is what is the solution to this problem? I'm only saying we are aware of that problem. We're aware of the challenge and that is why we introduced quota two and we will we are discussing how can we actually admit other criteria Uh, or introduce other criteria to the student admission process. But the problem is, with the amount of students we have, it will be extremely costly. No, and I've also uh, read a, a couple of interviews with you where you really say we need students who can get ideas and we need uh, entrepreneurship with yes. those students. Can can grades uh, counteract this? Well, I, I guess... There are studies that look into this. I don't know of them. So I can't tell you on a scientifically based uh, background whether grades can be counterproductive to innovation and entrepreneurship and actually learning. But I'm quite sure that that is the case because uh, some people can maximize their maximize their grades without actually learning anything. I mean, you can read the correct, the right book uh, just before exam, and all analysis shows that if you read a book in a very condensed uh, period, maybe two weeks before an exam, you forget it as fast as you read it. So it's a proxy for a student that can optimize how to read and how to go up and take an examination and get at a high grade, but that's ne- not necessarily a sign that you've actually learned. Per Holden Andersen is not the only one saying goodbye to CBS. Actually, 2018 has been a year full of lineup changes within the leadership at CBS. But does that concern Per Holden Andersen? During a quite a brief period, uh, CBS has gotten some new deans um, soon, a new president, yes, a new chairman, and um, and a new uh, vice chairman. Do you feel nervous about this big change in in the staff here at uh, CBS? If, well. It's quite evident that changing leadership at the management level, at the board level, within a short time frame is not optimal. And it wasn't designed like that. It's coincidences that had made that happen. And I'm quite sure it'll be managed in a very secure and very uh, optimal way for CBS. But my clear answer is it is not optimal but it wasn't designed that way it's just by coincidence of course the the change of the chair of the board which will be in the middle of next year and the change of the rector and the deans 
that was not planned that way. So, But you cannot plan and avoid all those coincidences. And I'm quite sure in a month or two, uh, CBS will just be sailing ahead again. And nobody will think about that little insecure period. And now, what better time for Per Holden Andersen to pass on some of his advice to his successor as president of CBS, Nikolai Malcolm Müller, or at least we thought. And uh, if you can ensure a bit smoother sailing, what uh, are the three best pieces of advice you would give your successor? You know, I, I will not give my successor advice in public. If my successor would like my advice, I would gladly give my advice but to my successor, uh, and I would not like to give my successor advice over the public microphone here. It may simply be that my successor comes in and says, well, I would like to talk to you, but I have my very own ideas about where I want to go, and there's no doubt that I will not in any way insist on giving advice to my successor. And if I start uh, giving advice through this microphone, I am imposing on my successor, so... It's up to my successor. If that person would like my advice, I will gladly uh, give it. And I will also gladly spend time and resources on actually giving advice that can make the transition more smooth and easier. But I would do it in person to my successor and not over the microphone here. So we give that invitation or pass that invitation on. Yes. Um, What kind of school is... uh this Copenhagen Business School that you leave versus the one that that you came to? There's no doubt that CBS is not in an economic crisis. CBS, the way that we manage our budget, for example, and, and our bookkeeping and our planning of future expenses is far more rigorous than it was seven years ago. I won't guarantee that CBS cannot uh, run into economic challenges, but CBS has a far more robust budget and spending process than uh, we had seven years ago. So CBS is economically much more secure than seven years ago. Secondly, CBS has actually also achieved, uh, and this has been a very high priority for CBS for a number of years, achieved almost 100 million extra per year in basic research funding. It's been one of uh, my own top agendas. It's been the top agenda of the board. It's been top agenda of, for CBS for many years. So the economic conditions of CBS are actually quite stable. CBS has a fantastic international reputation. I did not build this. I mean, this is built over, well, probably not a hundred years because CBS has not been internationally focused for a hundred years, but at least for two, three decades. But CBS has simply achieved over the last 10-15 years an impeccable international reputation and it's a fantastic strength of this institution. Wherever you travel in the world, in the university world, CBS is known. Partly because we have, and that was a brilliant decision by one of my successors, we have Copenhagen in the name. Copenhagen is much more known than Denmark. So it was a brilliant decision to make it Copenhagen Business School. But on top of that, Copenhagen being in the name, we have a fantastic campus, a fantastic staff, students going out to every part of the world through these 330 exchange agreements and actually being fantastic ambassadors. I've traveled uh, a number of times 
while I've been at CBS visiting other universities, I participated in evaluations and accreditations of other universities, and I've never, ever met a university that didn't praise CBS students. So the students that travel the world, and there are thousands every year that do it, they are fantastic ambassadors of this institution. And it is true, I've never heard a negative response from any university uh, regarding our students. I also think that we have a good reputation in Denmark. And CBS, as a Hansoy school, has become a full-fledged, respected university. Uh, not a university in the sense that we are broad in topics. We are a very dedicated, focused university on business. But CBS has a very high reputation also internally in Denmark. I get the feeling that you're not uh, the kind of man who praises himself too much. But can you think of any cases where you as a person have successfully branded CBS? Well, you know, uh, I won't contradict your first introduction, but very few things are done by individuals. It's done in teams. You get good ideas. You get someone that comes and tells you this, you could have done this way. So there are very few things where I can say, I almost can't think of one thing where I'll say, I made that on a decision myself. You're influenced by other people you talk to. So it's very difficult for me to say this one thing I did. Um, I actually can't tell you one thing that I did. Uh, at least I can. I can't tell you any big things I did. I can tell you small things, but really momentous big things, they are always done in team and decided by a team, and the ideas are co-generated by many people. So that's the truth. It's not just being modest. I would like to uh, get you to talk about the biggest challenge you have faced as a president here at CBS. Well, the biggest was definitely deciding on the uh, big layoff in 2013. Not that it was the most important decision for CBS, but it was a very fundamental decision to say, okay, our economic position is out of balance and we cannot get it in balance fast enough uh, without laying off people. And, you know, some people think that leadership are just immune to the uh, understanding of individual staff members, how they will react. Of course we're not, but it's our responsibility to take, and it's our damn responsibility to take when you run into scenarios like that, those tough decisions. And it was certainly not a nice decision. It was a necessary decision for CBS, but a number of people paid a high price. They were laid off. So that was the most um, momentous, but also the most, um, what's the word? We have to find the word, the most unpleasant decision I've had to make. And in my previous jobs, I've had to do the same, but not at the same magnitude. So by far, that was the most difficult decision to make, but it was damned necessary. Yeah, and then um, just one last thing. Now it's retirement. What are you gonna gonna use your time for? Uh, well, until end of January, I'm gonna use my time as president of CBS. So if that's what you're asking, that's the answer. But if you're asking what I'm using my time after, well, part of uh, my decision of stepping down is based 
on a fact that any institution has to change leadership at some time, and I wanted it, at least I tried to plan it uh, in a timely manner so the institution knew it almost a year before. It is a little um, coincidence that it's not optimal that the Danske Bank case uh, came up at the same time, and there's a little bit of turmoil in that context, but the the biggest concern for me was to, to time it so CBS had a long pl- planning horizon in finding a successor and a smooth transition, and I think that will be achieved. That's been important. What will I do myself? Uh, I'm not going to take another job with the same amount of uh, weekly or daily hours. That's one of the backgrounds of the decision, simply to have a little more personal freedom. These jobs, they eat you more or less full-time, also evenings and weekends. So one of the backgrounds of this decision is simply to have a little more freedom to do other things that I'm fond of. Music is one of them. I haven't really done much in that field for a number of years. Another is uh, traveling. And then there are a few actual jobs that I'm going to do, but I won't reveal them before after I have left CVS. So not a complete retirement? Uh, certainly not a complete retirement, no. Perfect. I just have one. Uh, actually, have a thing for you Yes. before we end. Is it a gosebrust? <laughs> it is a gosebrust. Yes. Uh, uh, and it's not It's not made by the student canteen. It's made by Van Hauen, I can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, our own uh, cantina, they they deliver Gostebrust and they are normally yellow. So I can see this one is not from the, our own cantina. Yeah, because you are kind of a, maybe Gostebrust is a... I am, certainly. Okay, you are a Gostebrust connoisseur. I am a Gostebrust. What, what well, is I'm the... not sure I'm a connoisseur, but I'm a great admirer and I eat them whenever I see them. And I I like them bec- and therefore every single meeting I have with either students or people from outside, I order Gosebost. And it's partly because then I'm sure I get one myself. Any last thing? Well, um, I think CBS is a fantastic institution. And I'm not saying this because I've been here seven years. Uh, I've I've been a you know, seven years out of 102 years is just a very short time period. CBS has a fantastic historic track record. CBS, in my view, should continue being highly international in focus, and we should not succumb to um, two nationalist movements that would like to limit international staff and international students. It's part of the role of universities to have an international outlook because it gives you understanding of different cultures, of different societies, of different norms, and sometimes you also learn something. Uh, I think maybe we as, maybe it's a Scandinavian trait, we always think that we can travel abroad and learn someone, our values. But sometimes we can also learn a heck of a lot from other people's values and other cultures, uh, other beliefs, other sciences, other religions. And that's part of the reason I think an institution like CBS is so important. The internationalization 
and the understanding through internationalization has become far more important today than just 10 years ago. We probably can see it tonight when we know the final outcome of the American election, and I guess we actually know it already, but I haven't seen it yet. Have you? Yeah, yeah. One Democratic chamber. They they won the the chamber, but not the Senate. I guess, yeah. But that in itself is an in in my view an expression of that we need to send our people out broadly, globally, to learn other cultures, learn why people have different views, and learn they're not necessarily dangerous because they have different views. If we sit back here in cozy Copenhagen and think that people outside are bad, evil, have different wrong views, then the world will be a not very nice place to be. So it's part of the role and the responsibility of a university to build international understanding and build the gap and bridge the gap between different views and also tell people it is not dangerous to have another view. It's actually one of the fundamental rights of our society that we protect people with other views. So I'm a great proponent of sending students abroad, learning other cultures, other people, other political systems, and other views. And I hope that continues. Perfect. Thank you a lot, Pierre. And now Enjoy I your voice. <laughs> and you can, uh, actually, maybe you can hear it in the microphone when I <laughs> eat it, and you can hear how I expand physically <laughs> when the ghost boost goes down. <laughs> And with mouthfuls of gozebrust and a bit of globalistic nudging, we bid farewell to Per Holden Andersen, both in this podcast and as president of Copenhagen Business School. This interview took place before the entire turmoil concerning Den Danske Sang and Ung Blond Pige. So if you're somehow wondering about the absence of that topic, that's the reason why. As always, if you like what you hear, Never hesitate to tell family, friends, or even strangers about CBS Wire podcast. You have listened to CBS Wire. <laughs>